The Standard Deviations podcast is a weekly production that looks at money, mind, and meaning, all through a psychological lens. Each week, psychologist and New York Times bestselling author Dr. Daniel Crosby interviews a fascinating new guest, experts in everything from finance to literature to wellness. Support for Standard Deviations comes from the Guardian Network. You know the old saying, a penny saved is a penny earned? How many pennies would you earn if you skipped your next venti iced mocha half-calf latte or that burger that needed five napkins? Over a lifetime, they add up. Like putting a kid through college add up. Find out where your priorities lie by playing the cash stash dash at livingconfidently.com slash play. Hello and welcome to the Standard Deviations Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby, and I am joined this week by Doug Shaw, who is an artist and consultant who helps others see the world differently and do things differently through an artistic lens. Doug, welcome to the show. Daniel, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks ever so much for inviting me on. Well, as listeners will no doubt have ascertained by now, you will be raising the IQ of the show uh, at least 10 10 IQ points today just with that cool accent. So thank you for joining us uh, this morning. So Doug, (laughs) you have not always been on the the journey that you find yourself on today. Tell us a bit about your professional path and what brought you to a place where you're teaching art to business leaders. Sure thing, will do. And um, if it helps with the IQ points, I can pretend I'm wearing a monocle and a top hat, uh, by all means. So, that's uh, true. That's worth an extra <laughs> let's work with that. Um, so I guess, essentially, I've always been interested in people and what makes them tick. And for many years, I was uh, involved directly as an employee in, in corporate life, uh, getting involved in lots of um, sales and marketing kind of transactions and negotiations. And um, I realized over a period of time that, that, that fundamentally what makes, what makes a negotiation work or part of what makes a negotiation work is being able to trust um, the other side and be able to understand what makes them tick. So I've always been interested in, in that, in how we interact and how we choose either to give or earn trust. And I've also become, I also became aware that one of the other things that um, often gets involved or often affects the way we work negatively, I find, is that we also have a very overwhelming need for certainty when the truth is that actually um, the world is a very uncertain place and we operate with ambiguity in all kinds of ways. But, but when it comes to business, for some reason, we get very hung up on the notion of we, this needs to be yes or no, right or wrong black or white, whichever way you want to to look at it. And so initially, I began to appreciate that visual art and the arts in general were potentially an interesting lens through which to inquire about how we make work better and how we do things differently, primarily because they are subjective. Uh, So you and I could look at the same image and we could interpret it in a number of different ways. And I began to realize that actually that's, that was an interesting way to begin to frame a conversation about how we do things differently by offering up the same thing and beginning to appreciate that it could be, it could be interpreted in different ways. And therefore, if we can interpret that in different ways, how might we bring that thinking into a more business-like context? So I want to run with this theme of uncertainty a bit because, you know, you and I have been friends for friends for years, but I reached out to you uh, about the specific show 
um, my reaching out to you was precipitated by a specific event. So I, I recently celebrated my 13th wedding anniversary and my wife, uh, for an anniversary gift to me, gave me this, this wonderful sort of box full of, uh, of art supplies. You know, it's got acrylic paints and oil paints and oil pastels and watercolors and all, all kinds of neat stuff. It was a very thoughtful gift. And my wife is herself a, a talented artist. And, she, you know, she's like, look, this is, you know, this is something we can do together. And so initially I was very excited about it. And then when we began the process of this sort of first art lesson, I nearly had I nearly had a panic attack because because of this lack of certainty. You know, it's we're we're doing this, and I go, you know, is it good enough? And what do I, you know, what do I start with? And how do I know when this is finished? And it was just it was all so messy that it really was this sort of profound emotional experience for me in a way that I was really blindsided by. I was not expecting it to be uh, nearly the experience it was. So what sort of emotions do you find get kicked up? And you know, what sorts of dealing with uncertainty, what sorts of emotions get kicked up as you're, as you're going through an artistic process with your corporate clients? Okay, so that's a great question. Uh, and before I tend to it, may I belatedly congratulate um, you both on your anniversary and also thank your wife for such a, as you say, a thoughtful, a thoughtful gift. Um, I totally understand that apprehension. Uh, I feel it and deal with it frequently in my own work. And I think one of the things that I've become very aware of over the years that I've been integrating art into a more business-like context is that I'm no different from um, you or anyone else who's, who's picking up these things and trying them in some instances and with some mediums, I've now got more experience. But one of the things that I do is I continually try to do new things. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking for new ways and new materials to, to experience that sense of uncertainty so that I can relate to it in some way, shape or form. Um, but when I think about the, the process, as it were, then I, I think that is the thing that has to come first and foremost. So, I remember a series of postcards that I made for friends when I went on holiday um, years ago, and they were part of my the beginnings of my journey as an artist. So this was a, a point at which I drifted from using art uh, as a way of uh, enabling people to consult to actually making art myself. And these postcards are, if nothing, if not, not if not, if, if anything, they're naive in the extreme to the point that I was almost kind of embarrassed to send them but I've made a commitment and I and I did it um, and I kind of um, I, I realize now looking back at those postcards that what I was trying to do there was I was trying to represent something so whether it was a, a, a view of Matisse's um, old house uh, in the in the in the district of Nice in the south of France whether it was a beach scene whatever it was I was extending my mind's eye um into into art but i was going way beyond I, they the pictures i could see in my mind were way beyond my uh, practically non-existent ability so i had that meltdown too and, so, and, in, and basically what i did was i began I, I over time i began to realize that what's really important is the process not the outcome so i think um there's all kinds of interesting emotions that get kicked up and, it, and it's 
kind of find to be okay with those and acknowledge them. And a way to kind of help people roll with them and move past them is to help them appreciate that. Making art that are very accessible and are very much process oriented and the outcome will take care of itself. Well, it's interesting because this idea of process over outcomes is one that I've that I've written about extensively. But it's been, you know, I realized when I started creating art, I've I've written about this in the context of things that I was already good at. You know, so it's 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 easy for me to say when it comes in sort of a, a domain or an area of expertise where I'm already fluent. When I started to have to apply this this process over outcomes mentality to something at which I had I had uh, no hope of a of a good looking outcome. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it was a very different conversation. So I've found you know we've done a we've done a handful of art lessons at this point, and I'm I'm happy to say that subsequent <laughs> subsequent lessons have gone much better. But you know it was really tough at first, and so I think there's uh, there's something about the the novelty of art. For, for many of us who have been plying our trade in the business world for a long time, there's something about the novelty of art that really shakes you from your comfort zone in ways that we talk about all the time in, in the corporate world, but we don't really live. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating about this process is that ability to kind of shift those foundations. So I'm very careful uh, as a facilitator of the process in terms of how I seek to enable those things to happen. So I, I, I'm, I, like to, I like to think my work is invitational. I would like to think that if you and I were working together, you weren't feeling compelled or coerced, but, it, but it was a, it, I was able to present an offer to you in such a way that you thought, okay, I, I, can, I can buy into this concept. Let's give it a try and see what happens. And I go further to say that I have actually worked with people in the past who kind of turned up and folded their arms in front of me and said, well, I'm not doing this, Um, to which my response is, okay, fine. Um, You're an adult. I'm an adult. If someone's told you you've got to come here and play this game, then it wasn't me, um, and I'm not going to force you to do anything. And And I think that in that respect, actually, we can use these interactions to begin to foster all kinds of thoughts and feelings about what it means or how does it what does it mean to work here if that's the kind of if you're if that's the kind of behavior you're used to around here I'm not going to offer it to you so why don't you take responsibility for your own decision and either sit there and wait and see what happens or leave or do whatever you like but but I'm not here to control you in that respect you know when when I was doing therapy we we had this term that was called grist for the mill, right? So when grist for the mill was this idea of, yeah, like things popping up in the therapeutic setting that could then be processed and discussed. And in in the context of our everyday lives, I think most of us, you know, sort of naturally orient to things that we're good at, things that we get paid for. Um, and we don't always kick up a lot of grist for the mill because we've, we've, self-selected into easy paths. So one of the things that I've enjoyed about this artistic process is it kicks up a lot of grist for the mill. And I, I do believe that the way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. And so something like um, the recalcitrance or the obstinance of the, the people you've talked about folding their arms and saying, you know, I'm not going to do this. This right. isn't uh, specific to art for them. You know, this is something, the things that they're realizing about themselves there are things that yeah. generalize to other parts of their life. 
but this novel stimulus maybe brought you to that point. Is there, is there without identifying uh, information, of course, is there a, an event that sticks out? Is there an interaction with someone that sticks out where someone in one of your classes really learns something about themselves or how to break through? Well, sure. Um, so if I think about the, the, the guy who folded his arms and, and refused to take part, just very briefly, uh, and I say I, I chose to respond to him in in in, in a it sounds it sounds a bit pathetic, yes, forgive me, but I chose to respond in a kind of adult way. I'm not his teacher. Um, he's not in my class. You know, we're, we're peers. I mean, he worked for a company. I've been I've been brought in. But, and, and I noticed that his response to being treated like an adult was that he chose to sit there and wait and, and actually relax into what was initially a conversation, which then became a period of, of making. So I think it is interesting that you're, and I get your point totally, I think how we are in something is very often how we are in something else. And, and I wondered to what extent this person's tendency to fold their arms was, was part of how they presented in other ways. I didn't offer that back to them. Um, but I did choose to treat this person like an adult and, and, and allow, give them the time and space to come to their own conclusion. Um, but one other thing I want to reflect on that, that also happened in this, uh, in this particular uh, intervention, for want of a better word, and over a period of three or four days, I must have worked with 150 people in, in this organisation, having conversations about behaviours and values and using conversation and art to try and get a greater sense of what does it feel like to work for this company, good, bad and indifferent, and use that as a body of work to try and drive more of the things we like and less of the things that we don't like. So that was the context of the engagement. And at one point, uh, I was talking to a, a woman who was painting very enthusiastically and very excitedly. And she looked at me and she said, when you arrived, I thought you were going to be and she, used, she said the term all Tony Hart. And, and for folks um, on your side of the pond, Tony Hart was a guy who used to teach art on the, on the TV over here. And he's very famous to kids of, like me of a certain generation. It's, it's Bob Ross. Story. It's the Bob Ross of the UK. <clears throat> Could well be. I'll have to go and check that, check that guy out. Um, and I responded to this, to this woman. And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not being like Tony Hart. Because if I was like Tony Hart and I had come in here and told you what to do, then you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now. And at that point, I stopped talking and I looked down onto the, to the floor where we both uh, realised that what this woman was doing was she was painting um, with paintbrushes jammed between her toes. And she was just making this mad abstract piece of work using brushes in a way that I've never used them before and achieving an outcome through a process that I'd never done before. And I said to her, you know, if I, I never would have thought to tell you to do that, but here you are exploring, you know, your own sort of sense and feelings of interacting with this thing in a way that's, um, you've just been given the time and the space and the encouragement. And we both kind of looked at each other and thought, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's an amazing example of how you know if if left to our own devices, we have this natural creativity, and you could you could go too far as a, as an instructor or a teacher. You want to give enough instruction that it's not overwhelming, but not so much that you strip out the natural creative process. So, Doug, you know, speaking in this vein, I was in church with my family recently, and I looked over, and and the, my three children, three young children, and they're all sitting there doodling you know, during church. 
And it struck me that I used to engage in the very same sort of behavior. You know, it was uh, doodling, creating art was this deeply meditative, enjoyable uh, part of my life. But I feel like this natural childlike sense of wonder and natural childlike creativity is sort of beaten out of us um, over, over time. <laughs> How, you know, how is this process, uh, how does this get beaten out of us over time? And how can we regain this sort of childlike innocence around creativity and expression? Well, it's a great question. Um, and I think it is, it, 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 it's kind of worrying, um, that process that goes on, our detachment from that childlike wonder. And, and I, there, there's plenty of um, research out there that, that connects um, that disassociation, if you like, with that childlike wonder, with a, with a with an increasing inability to be able to problem solve and, and think divergently. Uh, um, I'm thinking of studies published in books like Breakpoint and Beyond that that go that that appreciate or, or have tested how young kids are fascinatingly good at coming up with multiple solutions to problems, and that how as we age we become increasingly less good at that kind of thing. And that, so there's a creative process that we're, we're detaching from there. When I think about the creative process and creative practice from a sort of visual arts perspective, I think what happens is that at a very young age, um, we, are, we are delighted by the work that the child produces. And, and I'm sitting here in my sort of studio come office, and actually I've got a few bits of work from that my daughter Kira has made in, in younger years. And, you know, that, that kind of thing... It, it, the kids can't do any wrong at that point. You put some paint on the paper and it is what it is and everybody gets excited and sticks it on the fridge or on the wall and woohoo. And, and I love that. And it doesn't matter that the cat is orange and it looks like a hedge or whatever it is. <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. And at some point, somebody, I think, perhaps unwittingly, begins to point out to the child that actually cats aren't orange or they aren't oblong or whatever it is. Um, and so that uh, that kind of that something breaks there because all of a sudden I'm being told that my work isn't good enough. Um, and I get that that to some extent art there are, you know some art is about represent, representing things. But actually, more importantly, I think if we believe that the process is beneficial, and, and I'm not a therapist, but I, I I have legions of people who tell me that engaging in the process feels therapeutic. So I think there is something very important and nourishing in our ability to be able to make, particularly in an increasingly digital world where everything is keystrokes, um, being able to grab a pencil or a pen or a lump of charcoal or whatever it is and just make a mess, make some marks, is a really powerful, liberating thing. So I think it's beaten out of us because people begin to expect us to be able to somehow do better or that call that a, call that a fish, it looks more like a dog. Um, and, and that kind of criticism is, isn't, isn't helpful. And so I think we, we, we become detached. And I think one of the ways that we can regain is through coming to a realisation that actually, really, what, what, are, what is art? It's mark-making in, in, in one sense. So if I can accept the fact that I can lay a material onto another material and create a shape, then that's an interesting place to start. And from there, all sorts of other possibilities can begin to re-emerge. 
So, you know, I'm just going to spend the whole uh, the whole time today roasting myself and giving listeners insights into my flawed psyche. So, okay. one of, you know, one of the, and getting getting free therapy from you in in the process. But you know, one of the things after that this this first art session I I had with my wife, you know, I I put my pitiful little drawing up and I said I said something to the effect of like. Uh, like I'm, I'm never going to be a famous artist or I'm never, I'm never going to make any money doing this. And it was like, we both kind of looked at each other like, Oh, you know? And so one, one thing that I I've had trouble putting out of my mind to your, to your point is this results mindset, because I would tell you that I've had a creative career. Like, I mean, I've been very lucky, you know, I've gotten to, I've gotten to write books. I've gotten to create businesses. I've gotten to shape products, design technology, I've been very creative, I would say, over my career, but it yeah. always had a profit motive. So how do you get people to move beyond this results orientation and this profit motive so that if someone says, hey, your cat, you know, your cat, your cat looks like a shrub or, a, you know, your, your uh-huh. fish looks like a dog, that they persist in, in pushing forward? How do we get past this sort of profit motive, result motive? I guess... It's a great question, um, and you're right. You you are a, a man of creative endeavour. That that's for sure. Um, and I think it's great to hear you articulate that because I think a lot of people don't give themselves the credit that they deserve. Um, I am interested in primarily in visual art, but I think that the the arts in general have a lot to teach us. So there, there is the option, to, you know, we can, we can learn lots from different for art forms. And I include writing, um, uh, creative writing, writing books, writing verse. I mean, the humble haiku is a great way to spark conversations. I run a, um, uh, a little exercise called HR haikus, and we, we kind of encourage people to construct short verse about work and sometimes we invite people to be explicitly humorous sometimes dark but anyway interesting things kind of come out of all of that i I digress so coming back to your point um i think that the the challenge here is to is to kind of consider well what is this creative process in pursuit of and what are we hoping it will enable us to do Um, and i think that one of the things that people need to get comfortable with is that Actually, if we believe as a business that creativity and innovation is important, then we kind of need to do it. Um, And we need to do it accepting the fact that some of it might not immediately yield results. So are we okay with that? Um, And I think if the answer is no, we're not okay with that, then I'm not sure that I'm the person that that company should be talking to. However, if there is a, a degree of curiosity in the mix, and again, I, you know, I can't state how important curiosity is. It drives uh, elements. You know, you're aware that I hide art in the local neighbourhood on a weekly basis and people go off and find it, and there's a high level of curiosity involved in that project. But in a corporate context, if there isn't some curiosity in the mix and there isn't at least a willingness that, you know, this might take a while, we might have to um, make a mess uh, before we make something that's a, a little bit more um, interesting and curious, that, then, then I think we're unlikely to get anywhere. Um, and then what I notice is that when actually people get to do it, very quickly they realise that, that uh, um, for want of a better term, and I, I'm going to cringe as I say these words, but a kind of quick win yuck, is that people begin to get a sense of each other better. 
So they begin to get to know each other better and they begin to get a slight, a better understanding of what each other's needs and wants are. And again, I have specific exercises that can facilitate around that question. And that's a very interesting part of the puzzle because that can yield to greater understanding of one another, which then makes, you know, interaction with each other hopefully cleaner and, and, and um, more engaging. And, and I'm not going to go on the about how important being engaged in your work is. But if we can find ways to spark that kind of thing, then I think other things will come from it. But it needs curiosity, and dare I say, it does need a little bit of patience at first. So quick win, um, quick win was not as, a, as bad as it could have been. I mean, I was fully prepared to kick you off the show if you said synergy. I thought that's what, <laughs> I thought that's what was coming, but you, you we're, gonna let you, we're gonna let you finish here. Um, well, I think it comes down too to broadening our vision of, of what productivity means. You know, uh, you know, so I'm looking at this through, a, through an economic lens going, well, I'm never gonna be, I'm never gonna be rich or famous from, from doing this. And that tells you, sadly, perhaps where my, where my priorities were uh, in, in that moment and maybe more broadly where, where my priorities are. Um, but, you know, curiosity is its own reward. You know, developing patience is its own, is its own virtue. Spending time with a loved one is its, is its own reward. I think we have to, to broaden the scope of what we consider valuable. And I think that, you know, at least in my case, creating art was a, was a window into what I value. And when I when I looked through that window, I was dis- disappointed in myself. And so, I, but it's a, it's a good place to start a conversation about, you know, what do I profess to value versus what do I really value? And, and how can we find value in things that, that aren't economically re- remunerative? Um, I think it's a, an important conversation to have. So you, you talked about, uh, you've talked about creativity, you've talked about patience, you've talked about all these sort of positive things that, that flow from creating art. And I, I certainly agree do you find in your work that this creativity generalizes? Because if I look at something like risk, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about thinking about risk and we find that risk doesn't generalize. Like, you know, your, your ability or your, your propensity to, to want to take risk in capital markets is different than your willingness to jump off a bridge, you know, with a parachute on your back kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, do you feel like the lessons that we learn from engaging in creative artistic endeavors uh, do, can and do generalize to our work lives? Well, they can do. Um, and so I think the, the, it's important to understand the process. So what, what is, what, why, why is the client interested? What are they looking to achieve uh, from the process? And I'll make no bones about it. Um, there are you know, things like team building. I don't know how, how that goes over in the States, but over here it gets a pretty bad rap. Um, but I think that actually the process of getting to know each other better is a really important part of how we, how we work together. It, it's vital. Um, and there are, you know, Client, I, I've just I've, this just this week. I've been in the um, I've been in the London offices of a um, property development company, helping them to mount some of the um, collaborative mark making exercises that they made with me a few weeks ago. Uh, and those are part of a process that was explicitly about wanting to get to know each other better, try something different, kind of see how that how that um, how that feels and, and and consider the possibility of how we might 
integrate those subsequent thoughts and feelings into what we're doing at work. Now, it's very early days yet, but, but I know that they had a really good fun time doing it because the client's been kind enough to give me a really lovely testimonial. And now that they're seeing um, what some of the possibilities are in, in terms of actually allowing themselves to be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit uncertain, then the plan is that we will do some more work together and maybe as part of that ongoing work, we'll start to think more in more detail about how these things actually interact with what's going on at work. Um, similarly, I've been asked to work with clients who are trying to understand more about their culture, values, that, you know, that, that kind of thing. And we can use, uh, we can blend art and conversation and, 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 and encourage people to, you know, to illustrate and, and make art that reflects what does it feel like to work here. Um, and, and, and I've done that on a number of occasions. And, and that can produce a really interesting body of work, which in itself, I know some companies have used as a kind of way of um, bringing the whole place together and say, wow, look at what we look at what we made. Look at, and, and, but from there, you can then go on to, to have the conversation about, OK, so tell me what was going on when you were thinking about this and where are the good things, where are the bad things, and translate those into a conversation about how we make work better together. So I guess yeah, it, I could go on about all the different kind of nuances, but, I mean, I, you know, I, I've used this stuff to help people consider things like customer experience design, to, to, to look at how we get to know each other better, to look at problem solving per se, um, even just to come up with, you know, how do we set a vision for ourselves? I've done loads of work with people who just who just want to, an, another way of trying to come up with a, a roadmap type thing. And we can do that uh, artistically and conversationally and, and, and. So, yeah, I think this stuff does um, spill over. Um, but, it, again, it's important to understand what the purpose of the initial engagement might be. Um, I think. So, you know, speaking uh, about the future of work, uh, the World World Economic Forum says that creativity is one of the top three skills that employers are looking for in the future. And this is up dramatically by their own reckoning uh, in just the last couple of years. When you think about the future of work, what is it that makes creativity so crucial to what we'll be doing in the future a relative to perhaps the the role that it's played historically well that's a great question um and if i'm i'm terrible at many things uh and one of the things i'm really bad at is foreseeing the future um <laughs> i have a terrible uh, track record but anyway notwithstanding that if 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 the future of work is is about an increasing use of um, technology to uh, strip you know, tasks away from humans and give them to machines and, and that kind of uh, future continues to unfold, then uh, I'm, I'm, I wonder how we're going to how we're going to kind of look after and, and kind of take care of uh, each other in the future if we don't necessarily have the, the volume of work that we need to be done. So there's arguments for things like universal basic income that you know give us a give us a platform on which to li- uh, live and build a life that means that we don't actually have to work in the traditional sense. And if we believe that the sort of ongoing robotization, if that's a proper word, is, is a thing, then that, then I can see a role for that kind of thing coming into play. I can also see that we might therefore. You know, potentially have just actually more, maybe more time on our hands. And so what do we want to, how do we want to 
fill that time. You know, maybe we want to fill it by working at the local community farm uh, up the road from here for, 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 for some of the hours in the week. Maybe while we want to fill it caring for other people. Maybe we want to f- f- fill some of it by just doing things differently ourselves. Um, and so I think... I think there's a need, if, if, if the World Economic Forum say something, that doesn't necessarily make it so, but I think that this idea of creativity is something that's always been there, and I think that what I'm trying to do through my own practice is just help people see that, that to some extent we're all artists, particularly if we believe that the process is more important than the outcome, and that to that extent we can use creativity as a tool to explore better and different ways to work, but we can also, in, in a various number of forms, just use it as a way of maybe considering how we might look out for ourselves and each other better in the future. Well, one, one of the reasons why I find the conversation around, um, you know, AI and, and automation uh, not to be as scary as some folks is because I think the future of work is going to revolve around relationship building and creativity. I mean, these are things... Uh, that that humanity does does well. I don't see these. I don't see these tasks uh, being eroded in the near future by by machine learning or, or artificial intelligence. Yeah. And I think that's some of the most rewarding work that we do. So I mean, I I, I say hasten the day when robots take uh, out sort of the the grunt work and the drudgery out of out of humankind and leave us with more time and more opportunity to be creative and build relationships. Now, I think with this greater um, with this greater potential also comes greater responsibility. I saw a study recently that talked about how much more time we have today than than previous generations. And I know you know it feels like we're always so busy, but the, the, the numbers show we've got more free time uh, than, than any human generation has, has ever had. Yeah. And the study si- simultaneously found that we're filling that time with, with screens. Like we've basically yeah. taken all this extra time we've been given and we've watched more Netflix with it. And yeah. so um, I think, you know, not only do we need to, to amp up our creative endeavors to be prepared for the future of work, I feel like it's a more fulfilling, uh, fulfilling use of the free time that we're going to have now and in the future uh, to try and create something. Like I love in your bio how you say you're sketching yourself into existence, mm. and that's that's very much how I feel about my writing. Is yeah. you know I think it's a very human tendency to want to leave some sort of mark on the world. We're not here for very long, any of us. And you want to try and leave some evidence that you were here. And that's been a human impulse ever since we were drawing on caves. Uh, And so I I hope, you know, I hope that people will listen to the messages of of people like you and take this free time, take this opportunity we've been given and do something uh, a little bit better than binge Netflix with it. For sure. And, and thank you for answering my question infinitely better than I ever could have. Um, I can't wait to listen to this so I can remind myself of what you just said and learn <laughs> from it. But that is cool. You know, it is nice to, you know, I'm holding a partially completed piece in my hand at the moment as I, as I was listening to you. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that that's make, making that mark in whatever shape uh, or form is it, it, it kind of doesn't matter as long as it's not done with the intention of doing someone else any harm but um yeah it's it's a, it's a great way to to do things and, and your your point your observation about relationships you know that takes me right back to the crux of what i felt really mattered in corporate life a billion years ago whenever it was i was doing it and recognizing that actually the these these sales negotiations and transactions that we're trying to conclude here they they will that 
relationships are so important in trying to understand you know what what good looks like and can we come up with a scenario where we can both parties can walk away from this feeling like they've got something from it rather than feeling like they've been done over or or, or whatever and so yeah relationships are, are a vitally uh, important part of, of what makes us tick and if we have more time to foster those and we can use various forms of creative practice to help pursue that then so much the better all right, Doug, as we begin to wrap up, I want to give uh, shine some light on one of the coolest projects that I think you're associated with. It's a project that you call We Are All Artists, and you mentioned it briefly earlier. This is where you drop free art around your city and you allow others to discover it and keep it. So can you tell us a bit about how that's gone and, and what even gave rise to this idea? Yeah, by all means, I certainly can. Um, so th- th- this, I think this project has come to embody my belief of the, the, the importance of, of curiosity and of starting something and of keeping going. So the, my, the initial motivation for me in terms of starting this project were, came around, to be frank, because I were from, from two things. One, I was conscious that in my own artistic practice, I was kind of dabbling here and there, but I was just kind of yeah, messing about a bit, I suppose. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to commit to doing something a little bit more regularly and understand how that would work and, and what that would what that could look like. Um, and the other thing I was wrestling with, frankly, was the loss of my father. Uh, he died a few years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was struggling to process that. Um, and so I wanted to learn about letting go uh, physically and mentally. I wanted to explore what that felt like. And, and I decided to, to do it through through making and giving away art in the local neighbourhood. So back in April 2016, I left a piece of art outside our local town hall, um, went off to work in London, came home again. It was still there. I had a mini crisis of confidence and took it back home. Um, my wife, Carol, told me that that wasn't the point of the game, and so I re-hid it, um, and it disappeared. Um, and I kind of just decided to keep on going. And so since April 2016, at least once a week, I've made and hid, hidden a piece of art in the local area or elsewhere if I happen to be elsewhere. Um, and it's brought me into contact with my community in ways I never thought um, possible. It's enabled the development of my artistic practice in ways I didn't, I didn't believe um, possible because I'm now much more um, kind of experimental and, and dare I say it, you know, people even will now even use the T word. So people will say to me, you know, I'm a talented artist. Um, I don't believe I am necessarily talented. I think what I am is curious and persistent. And so I now use that message as a way of saying, showing people that if you're curious, you're willing to start something and you're willing to keep going and you're open to the possibilities, then, you know, who knows? I mean, I've just had... I've got some work coming back from Germany that's been on show in an exhibition over there. I've got some work on show in France at the moment. Uh, I'm getting ready for more exhibiting over here and, and, and. And I never would have been doing any of that if I hadn't started this free art project. That's really neat. So it's a bit of a commitment device, it sounds like, something to make sure that you were just on your game, make sure you were going to do it and, and stick with your schedule. Have you have you been able to keep in touch with any of the people that have been the recipients of your art and do they, has it, has it become a thing now? Do people look for this around a scheduled time and sort of race to go get it? Yeah. So sometimes I know who's found it. I I don't, there's no obligation on the finder. Um, You know, I, nowadays I put my, I put a little tag on the art, a little, so that people are aware that it is there to be taken. 
Um, um, but I just put it out and, and I'll leave it after that. And sometimes I hear, uh, sometimes I hear from people and I get some really lovely notes sent to me directly and, and personally, but more often than not, I don't find out who's found it. And, and it's quite funny really, because other people will contact me and saying, do you know who found it this week? And I'll say, no, I don't, I don't know. And they'll get quite frustrated. Well, that's a bit rude, isn't it? And I say to them, well, it's not part of the game. There is no obligation for people to kind of come back to me. But it, and equally, if they want to, that's fine too. So it's a really interesting, it's a fascinating project. Yeah, I have, I have made some great relationships through it. Um, another unintended consequence. So actually, people have started to buy my art more regularly as a result of seeing it around and about. Um, and I'm very conscious that I keep the free art project clean from that point of view. You know, I, I don't. It's not about charging. It will all that will always be what it is. But but there was a there's a lovely unintended consequence that that's come around. Like I say, insofar, insofar as people will now say to me, "Hey, could you make me a picture of X? Or could you do this? Or could you do that?" So I'm loving all those possibilities. But at the heart, it's a it's an ongoing um, curiosity experiment and it's all about, yeah, learning, learning to let go. And I think that's a lifetime's work, frankly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, you need to come, I know you come stateside periodically, but we need you to come over here and hide some art so we can get in on the Doug Shaw art, uh, art drop mania. So maybe you bet it. I'll do that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay, Doug, as we begin to wrap up here, um, I've got to, as a shrink, I've got to engage you in some free association. So <laughs> I am going to just, you know, say a word or phrase and you will unfiltered. Just tell me the first thing that comes to your okay. mind. Okay. So favorite artistic school or genre? Wow. I'm going to just say Van Gogh because he's the person I bumped into most recently in my artistic travels. Perfect. Favorite medium? Acrylic paint. Something America does very well. Well, I don't wish to. This is this is meant with all due respect, um, but I think that my the best ever hamburger I've had has undoubtedly been in the United States. I can even tell you which restaurant I had it in if you really want to know. I mean, I do. <laughs> There's in a place called the Dearborn uh, on Dearborn Avenue, I think, in Chicago. Uh, incredible. We uh, USA, USA. We are very proud of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Something, uh, something England does very well. Uh, well, we like to argue, um, but on the more positive side, you know, hey, um, what do we do very well? Oh, dear. We make a decent cup of tea. How's that for patronizing and stereotypes? <laughs> oh, man. You, you said it and not me. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm glad I did, too. Okay. And this one's very important. The best punk band of all time. Well. You know, there are lots of contenders, um, but there's a band that are local to me. They come from a town called Croydon, and they're called The Damned. Um, they are a wonderful, joyful group of people. They're still touring even now uh, with some founder members, and I love them to bits. They're an excellent, talented group of musicians who don't take themselves too seriously. Awesome. The Damned is a great answer. So, Doug, a book or idea that changed your life? Oh, well, again, loads of possibilities, but I'll give you 101 Things to Learn in Art School by Kit White, and he's a Harvard professor, and although the book was intended originally for people who were about to go to art school, it's one of the most sort of relatable, translatable books that I've ever come across. All sorts of really interesting metaphors and hints and tips about life, work, the universe, and everything. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing of joy. 
Wonderful. I'm reading The War of Art and What is Art and a couple of different books right now. So that one will absolutely be added to the queue. And so, Doug, if people have enjoyed what what they've heard from you today, if they want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, So my website is uh, consultingartist.com because I think that best describes the intersection of, of the two things that fascinate me. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Doug Shaw. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Shaw one, the number one. Um, and I guess other places, I, I, you know, too numerous to mention, but if you Google me, I'm, I'm not that hard to find. There you go. Doug, thank you so much for sharing your insights into creativity with us today. Hey, it's been a real pleasure to, to hear your voice and, and talk to you again. Thanks ever so much for the opportunity. All opinions expressed by Dr. Daniel Crosby and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, and its affiliates, subsidiaries, employees, and agents. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon the information participants consider reliable and Dr. Crosby and Guardian are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken because of the information provided. Guardian trademark and the Guardian G trademark logo are registered service marks and are used with express permission. All materials are subject to United States copyright laws. Copyright 2018 Guardian.